Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be at IBC with you. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm an elder in the, the ministry intern here and excited about uh, opening up God's Word again with you. We're going to be looking at John chapter 17. Uh, so if you need a Bible, you could raise your hand and one of the elders, I mean the ushers will bring uh, them to you. And uh, turn with me to, to John chapter 17. If you remember last week, uh, we looked at John chapter 16, verses 25 to 33, um, in which uh, Jesus encouraged his disciples to, to take heart, for he's overcome the world. And then he prays. So John chapter 17, and we are going to read the whole chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for, all the, for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, be, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me 
may be in them and I in them. We're at the conclusion of Jesus' farewell discourse. And he turns his attention and he prays to the Father. And it's a beautiful prayer that I think helps us get a, get a glimpse into Jesus' heart as he prepares to leave the world and send his disciples into the world. In, uh, in some of my reading this week, I, I came across a story in a book called You Are What You Love by James Smith. And uh, he tells a story in which he, he recounts the story of two stonecutters. They're, they're working on a cathedral together, and they're building together, and someone comes up and they ask him uh, to the first one, hey, what are you doing? And the first one responds and he says, I'm cutting this stone in a perfectly square shape. And the other responds, I'm building a cathedral. Smith writes, I can imagine the first stonecutter pausing at the second's reply and saying to himself, that's right, I forgot, we are building a cathedral. And when I, in my reading, I, I paused at this story and I was uh, struck by it and, I, and I, I was thinking about this Sunday and I think that, that there's application for us um, in this story as we look at John chapter 17. I don't, I don't really know much about building. I'm, I'm not uh, into stone cutting, um, but I know it takes a lot of work and it's, uh, it's um, a, lot of, a lot of tedious aspects to, to making a cathedral uh, come together. Um, but, but I think in many ways uh, we often find ourselves like the first stone cutter in the Christian life where we, we look and when we're working on this project and we have a, a, a tiny little, a little stone that's going to be a part of this big and grand project. And like the first stone cutter, uh, we think to ourselves, hey, those, those lines are pretty straight. And uh, I, I think they look pretty good. And you look at the length and you look at the width and you look at the height and you think to yourself, this is, this is a pretty good stone. I know I'm, I'm totally guilty of this and often find myself uh, focused on what kind of stones that I'm, I'm making or, or my, my own little stone that I'm trying to perfect. And I think that we need to have the view more so of the second stone cutter who understands that what he is doing is a part of a bigger and a better and a grander story than just one little stone. I think there's a disconnect often in the Christian life where we, we think of ourselves as, as the center of God's story, when really we are a part of God's story as He is perfecting the body of Christ and sanctifying us. You see, the second stonecutter, he sees the grand and beautiful vision ahead of him, and he knows that the perfectly square stones that he's working on, they're all going to come together into a beautiful cathedral. To put it in a, in a different way, I think sometimes that we get so focused on what we have been saved from, which is the wrath of God, and we don't understand what we have been saved for, which is the mission of the church. You see, when we look at John chapter 17, when Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays to the Father, he communicates to them that, that his glory, the glory of Christ, it brings unity to the church and it gives purpose to everything that we do. His point is that the glory of Christ brings unity and purpose to his church, which we are all a part of. You see, the glory of the Son is the mission of the church. And as you'll see on your notepad, there's, there's three sections of this, this farewell discourse prayer um, in which Jesus prays. Verses 1 through 5, they talk about the glory of the Son. 
that is wrapped up in his obedience to the Father. And then he, then he prays for his disciples, and he prays a beautiful prayer in which he prays that they would be set apart, but not set apart for, for being set apart, but set apart for a mission, for a purpose. And then he prays for those that will believe through the word of the disciples. And that's the mission, the mission of the church. So let's begin by, by looking at verses 1 through 5. Jesus, he, he's with his disciples and he turns his attention and he prays to the Father. And he says, Father, noting that the intimacy that he has, where he many times throughout the book of John has communicated that I and the Father are one. And he says, the hour, the hour has come. And when you read through John, you'll notice that in many, in many places he tells people, no, my, my hour hasn't come. My hour, it's, it's, it's not yet. But even last week and then into this week, we learned that his hour has come. The time for him to go through the cross and be glorified, to be resurrected from the dead, and to ascend to the Father's side, that, that, that time is now. And he, and he tells the Father and he commands the Father, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So you see the Father uh, has given to Christ all that he will redeem. Verse 3, uh, many scholars and commentators think is, is often kind of a parenthesis in, in the Gospel of John. Where he, he takes a, a brief second to explain what, what, the, what eternal life is. And I think it's important for us to understand that eternal life is not just knowing God, it is also knowing who Christ is. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'm sure many of you have come into contact with people in, in various places and, and they say, yeah, I believe, I believe in God. I, I think he's out there. Or I believe in a greater power or uh, whatever, whatever they might say. But Jesus is, uh, John's clarifying for us that, that to know the, to know God is, is not the same as knowing who his, his son is. And Jesus' request really is that he would have the same glory that he had before the foundation of the world, before the world existed. His petition had asked the Father to reverse the self-emptying emptying of his incarnation that we learn about in John chapter 1 in which, which uh, John tells us that he became flesh and dwelt among us. This recalls to mind the words of, of Paul in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11. If you want to turn there with me, uh, you are welcome to. Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as I read that, I, I notice that there's so many connections between what Paul is saying later to the Philippians and what, what Jesus is praying for now. 
You see, to, to glorify, as, as John is using uh, the word, is to, to clothe with, with splendid greatness, to clothe in splendor. And so Jesus is telling the Father, I have humbled myself and I'm coming back to you and I'm asking for the glory that I had before the world existed. And then the main point, I think, for us this morning is that ultimately our salvation is a part of a bigger story, a grander story of which the Son comes to earth and He's bringing glory to the Father through the work that we have, that He has, and that, that through that work He brings glory to the Father. But it, it's reciprocal because through Christ's work He also receives the glory. I think oftentimes as Christians, we, we focus on what we've been saved from. And I know I've said this before, but, but I think we need to think more about what we have been saved for. And that's to bring glory to the Son. And it is really through, it's through our redemption that, that the Son is glorified. And then Jesus continues in verse 6 and he turns his attention to pray for the disciples. And his prayer for them is that they would be one that they would be full in joy and that they would be set apart from the world. Verses 6 through 7, they talk about how the Father has given to the Son a people. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. This is all too similar to what the disciples said in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 29 last week, where they said, now we know that you know all things and that you have come from God. And they were right about that. And Jesus gives them the words that the Father has given to him. He tells them these many things throughout the, 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 the Gospel of John, but in particular the, the discourse that we are in that they are to have hope and they are have to have joy. He encourages them to take heart. And his prayer for him, I think, uh, is, is really what, what we want to look at. He says in, in verse, in verse uh, 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. His prayer for the disciples is to be unified. His prayer for the disciples is that they would be one that they would be characterized by the unity that they have in the body of Christ. What's interesting here, and I think uh, applicable for us, is that oftentimes we think that uh, unification or unity is, is our responsibility. And uh, we think about, okay, well, we need to figure this out, and we need to work on this, and we need to do that. And uh, I'm not up here to, to release you of that responsibility, because as a body of Christ, uh, we, we are responsible to obey God's word. But I, what I love about this passage in this verse is that, is that our unity, our oneness is, is, is top down. It comes from the Father and the Son's unity and then, and then comes into His church. We know, of course, that all of the disciples were not unified in their belief about who Jesus was, which verse 12 tells us, somewhat as a side note, about Judas, the disciple that has gone out. Earlier, when, when Jesus was with his disciples, they were wondering about who is this one that will betray him. And in John 13, 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread 
has lifted his heel against me. So Jesus prays for the disciples' unity, and then he prays for their joy. In verse 13, Jesus reminds his disciples again that his words are meant to bring fullness of joy. This wouldn't be the first time that Jesus has told his disciples that. Previously in 1624, and then even before that in 1511, Jesus tells his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We know that the disciples are up against a battle because he is going to the Father and leaving this world, and the Holy Spirit is coming to guide them, but they're up against opposition. The disciples, like we talked about last week, they anticipated a little bit too much, and they got something wrong, and they said, oh, now you're, now you're speaking clearly. And Jesus says, no, you don't, you don't even know what's happening. And he, and he tells them that this world is going to bring trouble to them because they belong to Christ. The joy that we have in Christ is not, is not happiness. It is not comfort. But it is understanding that when we face tribulation, we face trials, that, that He is with us and that He has conquered the world. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then 15, I think, uh, is, 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 a, is a great point for us. It says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I think as Christians, a lot of times, me included, we often think that it would be better if we could leave this world. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of terrible things. There's a lot of trials that we face. And we think it would just be better to be in God's kingdom. And one day we will, we will be there for those that are in Christ and we will rejoice. But still we are and we labor in the Christian life and we continue but sometimes we want to give up. I was reminded in reading this of a, a junior counselor at Camp Allendale. Uh, her name was Jackie. And uh, she came to camp, and she was a, a one of 13. And she heard about the hope of Christ, and she uh, rejoiced, and she, and she put her faith in Jesus. And she went home, and she told her family and her, and her, and her friends that she was excited about her newfound faith. And her aunts and her uncles, they laughed at her. They told her, you don't believe that. She'd been raised in a family with a lot of siblings, a mother who worked too much, a father who was an alcoholic and had abused her and her siblings. And I don't think that it would be unfair for Jackie to think that the life that I have is not worth living and I want to go and I want to be with Christ. But Jesus' prayer for Jackie and for us is not that, he, that we would leave this world, not that the Father would take us out of this world. His prayer is that he would keep us from the evil one. The way in which uh, John uses the word world is, is to uh, express this idea that, that whatever is hostile to the gospel, in, context, in the context we understand that that anything that is opposed to God is, is, what, is, is what John's talking about. It's important to remember that when we face trials and when we face difficult times, that Jesus has prayed for us, that he brings us protection as we carry on his mission and as we prepare for what's next.
Jesus' prayer for the disciples comes to a climax in verse 17, in which, he, in which he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Being holy here refers to purity gained by separation from the world and living a life so aligned with God that it reflects his passions. You see, the disciples are set apart by God. They are equipped by the Spirit, and they are readied by God's Word to enter the world without, being, without becoming victims of its darkness. I think a lot of times we take comfort in verse 17 and 18 that we have been sanctified, that we are being sanctified, and one day we will be glorified, and we will be able to see and look into the face of Christ but we are not, we're not being sanctified without a purpose. To be set apart in this manner is to have a mission and to have a purpose. And verse 18 tells us, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And this morning we are all being sent into the world to proclaim the truth and to proclaim the gospel. But Jesus doesn't finish his prayer for the disciples there, he says, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Without Jesus Christ consecrating himself, we have no sanctification. Without Jesus consecrating himself, we really have no purpose. You see, all Christians have been set apart for the mission of Christ to go into the world and share the words which he received from the Father and he gave to his disciples. If you want to find yourself in the Bible, then verse 20 is the best place. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he prays not just for the disciples, but he looks ahead and he says, I want to pray for those that will believe in the words of the disciples. And there are many people here today who believe those words and are his disciples. Verses 20 through 26 summarize the mission of the church, which is to be a testimony to the world about the glory that the Son has. His prayer for them, for those that will believe, is the same or similar to the disciples. He prays for their unity. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Our unification, our unity as a church is, is wrapped up in the Trinity and how the Father and the Son relate to one another. And then he repeats himself again in verse 22 and he says that they would be one and asks that they would be one as he and the Father are one. And again, he repeats the same purpose. So the world, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as I have loved, even, and love them even as you love me. Sorry. There's no missionless Christians. The missionaries that our church supports have gone out into the world. But that doesn't mean that everybody who's left behind are not missionaries as well. If your goal as a Christian, I think, is to simply to make it to church on Sunday, 
to check off some box to make sure that your, your stone that you're working on is perfectly square, then you're, you're missing the point. You're like the stone cutter who only sees the perfectly square stone and doesn't and misses the whole cathedral. The unity of the church is rooted in the unity of God and the redemption that was achieved in Christ. And we are to understand that God has answered that prayer. We are proof of that. Idlewild Bible Church is proof of God's answered prayer and that God has made the church one in Christ. The heart of Jesus, we read in verse 24, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I don't even know that we can comprehend what, what Jesus is asking in this verse. To, to behold Jesus in all of his glory that he had before the foundation of the world. He came down and he humbled himself and he lived as a man. And then when you read chapter 18 through 21, you hear, you, you, you hear the terrible death that he lived for our sake. But the hope that we have in the resurrection, the new life that he brings because he has conquered sin and death on our behalf. Verses 25 and 26 help bring his prayer to a close. And he says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The love that the Father has for the Son is the same kind of love that we are after as followers of Christ. There is an ever-increasing love that the Father has for the Son as He accomplished the work that, that He gave Him to do. And it's a fuller grasp of the wonder of what Christ has done for us. The glory of the Christ is the glory of God's love. Beheld by His people and transforming them into bearers of Christly love. And that final fulfillment of the Christly love is what we look forward to when we will dwell with God in His kingdom because of His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the revealer and redeemer of all things. Last week I got to wash my car, or my wife's car. And uh, I really like washing cars. It's a confession for you guys. Uh, I don't really like other people's cars, but... Um, just my car, I'm just playing. Uh, and we'd been on a three week trip and, uh, our car, our car was dirty. It was bad. I, I wish that we could put in like a, don't eat in the car, don't drink in the car, don't touch anything in the car. But, uh, as you know, I have a toddler and a, and a, and a newborn or not. She's not really new. She's seven months old, but, uh, she's still a baby. And, uh, we, we make a lot of messes and we, we eat food in the car and we drove a lot. And uh, I got to spend a few hours on a Sunday afternoon, I think. Or no, it was like a Monday evening, I forget. But anyways, uh, I, I cleaned that car inside and out. And uh, by the end of it, I still hadn't really gotten rid of the smell that was in there. That it, smelled like, it smelled like 
I had a bad mildew or something, and, and my wife was telling me that, that man, we got to get the carpets clean, and she didn't want me to, she wanted to go, like, get the car detailed somewhere, and I was like, no, no, I'll do it, and uh, I wanted to anyways, and then uh, I, I get to my toddler's car seat, and there's milk that has been spilled all in her seat, and then, like, into the base, and then underneath the seat, uh, luckily, we had a seat cover on there, um, but it just, it was, it was bad. It was, it was gross. And so I cleaned that car and the, the car from the inside into the outside, um, it was about as good as it could be. Then yesterday I get to wash my car, which after a semester of driving up and down the mountain to go to school, uh, throwing in coffee and lunch and dirt and all sorts of stuff, my car, it's, it's still, it's still quite a mess. And the way that the day went, I didn't get to do the inside of my car. I just got to wash the outside of my car. And I think in many ways, uh, the life that we live is, is like a, a car that's clean on the outside, but, but dirty on the inside. If you go and you look at it, I mean, it's still not that great on the outside. There's a lot of sap and stuff. But, uh, but you think, oh, that's, that's a pretty clean car. But you get inside of it and you notice, man, there's still like junk everywhere and there's trash and there's dirt and there's coffee stains and there's all kinds of dust everywhere. And I wonder for us if we could examine ourselves like that car as a, as a whole body and ask ourselves, what, what do we need to do? You see, Christ has saved us for, for a reason. It's not to build our own little stone, a little statue, but we're a part of a bigger and a grander story that God has given to us. And, and, and the story is Christ. And that's the story that we get to share. I think sometimes people from the outside, they come and they look and they wonder, IBC looks pretty nice. Did you guys see the new doors out there? They're sweet. And they come inside and we're all sinful people. And we all say hurtful things. And we all make mistakes. And so what can we do in response to what John tells us in chapter 17? I've got a few ideas. And I think the first one is that we, we need to repent. Where, where have we gone wrong? Where have I gone wrong? Where do we need to go and ask for forgiveness? Where do we need to offer forgiveness? We're only able to forgive because Christ has forgiven us first. But why are we often so slow to offer that forgiveness? And then we need to, we need to pray. Not necessarily prayers for ourselves, but prayers for others. We need to ask God to open up our eyes to our, our, our days. That as we go, where do we go each and every week where we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? What do we do every single week that brings light into a dark world? And who do we talk to that needs the hope that we have and that we proclaim? I think sometimes we, we get lost in the ordinary. We, we maybe even wonder to ourselves, you know, my life is kind of boring. If it was a TV show, nobody would watch it. But fortunately for us, the TV show isn't all about us. The story is much bigger and much greater and much grander than we think. 
I came across this story in my reading that I wanted to share with you guys. It's from that same book. It's about a guy who's in a village and there's, there's floodwaters coming. He's a devout Christian and he's prayed to God that he, will, that he will save him. And he's convinced that God will come to his aid. So when the waters rise to his knees and his neighbors are making their way out of town in rowboats, their friend, his friends come by in a canoe and they paddle up to him and they say, hey, jump in, get in with us. We're here to save you. And he's like, no, no, I'll be fine. God is going to save me. And so puzzled as friends, they leave in the canoe. And the waters keep coming up, and so the man's now, he's in his living room, and he's trying to tread water, and he's trying to breathe, and he's kind of perplexed and still, but he's still fervent that God is going to rescue him. And so a motorboat comes up, and his friends or the people in the boat, they say to him, come on, get in, get in with us. And he's like, we're here to save you. But the guy says, no, don't worry about it. God's going to save me. I'm fine. They insist, but he, he's, he's stubborn, and so they zoom off to safety. So then finally, the, the floodwaters have come up so high that he's on the roof. The waters have overcome the house below him, and the village is quiet. Everybody's gone. But in the distance, he hears a helicopter. And as, he approaches, as it approaches, he realizes that it's come for him. And so the rescuer comes down in the basket, and he's next to him, and he's telling the man, get in there. Come on, get in. But the man refuses. And so the helicopter flies away without the man. And the story, it comes to a tragic end. And the man's in heaven, and he's bewildered at what, what, what's happened. And so he says respectfully to the Lord, I thought, I thought you were going to save me. Where were you? And the Lord replies to him, what are, you, what are you talking about? I sent a canoe, I sent a boat, and I sent a helicopter. What more did you want? And it's kind of a funny story, but I think there's a great point for us where we often look too much. We look for the Spirit in extraordinary ways when God has promised to be with us in the present, in the ordinary we look to God and we, and we want God to, to give us a calling, to point us in a direction, to, to make us a part of His grand story. And John 17 tells us that you are a part of that story. And so whether you're in the line at Fairway or you're driving down the mountain or you're on vacation, you guys have a message and you have a purpose and you have a reason to share the good news. We are a part of the, the mission of Christ to bring the gospel to a dark world. Every one of you has a place in God's kingdom. And he gives purpose to us in the most mundane tasks. For he is with us. His spirit is guiding us, which Jesus spoke to his disciples earlier. And he has redeemed us, most importantly, so that, that we can bring glory to, the, to God and one day we will look and we will behold the glory of the Son. The glory of Christ brings unity to the church. And it also brings purpose to His church. The glory of the Son is the mission of the church. And I think we need to pray that as Jesus prayed, that the disciples would be one. That we would be full of joy. 
And that we would be gracious and thankful that we've been set apart. But not set apart just to, to gather together on Sundays. But that we have a mission and a purpose in this world. The mission of the church is to be a testimony of the world about the goodness that we have in the gospel and to bring glory to Him. We want to celebrate that, but we also want to share that. All right? All right, let's pray. Father, we are humbled by Your Word. We are grateful that the things that we do, the places that we go, wherever we find ourselves, that we are a part of your story and that we can share the good news with the lost and dying world. Father, I pray that we would be of one mind, that our joy would be full in Christ and that we would realize that we have been set apart for a purpose. Help us, Father, in this task and teach us more about who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.